Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast. The research, development, launch, and growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators and the exponential minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next level. Welcome to the Exponential Minds podcast. My name is Nicholas Badminton. I'm a futurist. I travel the world speaking to companies that are trying to look into the future, understand on the horizon what's going to happen, what's going to change. And this is the Exponential Minds podcast. And today we've got a very special guest. He's a friend of mine. Uh, we met at an event a couple of years ago. Uh, his name's Sean Canungo. He's a disruption strategist. He's been recognized nationally and globally for his work in the innovation space after 12 years working at Deloitte. His mandate at the firm was to help corporate executives better understand and plan for opportunities and threats associated with disruptive innovation. And it's a huge pleasure to have you here, Sean. And wow, are we in a world of disruptive innovation today? Well, Nick, let me tell you, first of all, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be on the Exponential Minds podcast again, by the way. Uh, I know we dropped a couple of uh, episodes, you know, uh, previously, but you know, by the way, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, make sure you do. This guy is always dropping a ton of bombs. I know you're probably going to do this at the end, but I want to make sure that people uh, subscribe to this right now. But And yeah, I mean, it's been unbelievable where the world has changed over the last month. I mean, you're the futurist. Uh, you, 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 I don't yeah. know if you saw this coming. I'm the disruption guy. I definitely did not see this coming. I was coming back from a, a gig from North Carolina on March 10th. And, you know, that weekend I was like, okay, you know, I, I made sure that I, I, you know, I was going across like all these airports. I was going to be in like seven and eight uh, U.S. airports. So I had a mask, I had gloves. This is before they were, you know, saying that we need masks and gloves. I, you know, I was a bit, being a little bit wary around it. And, and right. uh, I came back on the 10th and then I think the 11th or the 12th, the, the entire world shifted. And, um, you know, I, I did not anticipate, you know, be, me being locked in home with the kids uh, you know, everything's shutting down. It, I, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's been crazy. Yeah. You know, some people are calling this the, the, a black swan event. It's a completely unpredictable, unforeseeable event. Actually in, in the foresight and futurist world, this is exactly <laughs> the kind of thing that we've been sort of trying totally. to understand when it would come and, and what it would look like. And yeah, there might be a, some people out there saying, you know, I told you so, but really, no one, no one really thought that this was going to become as real as it is at the scale that it is at. So it's not a black swan because we saw it coming. I mean, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of people that that planned for it. I mean, what is it? Wimbledon, the 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 tennis tournament, they were paying two two million dollars a year for pandemic insurance. Which oh, just, were they? I, I had yeah, no idea. They just paid out one hundred and forty-one million dollars. Wow! Wow! So, I had so, no idea. So, so people were people were planning, but like no one wanted to realize. So this is a black elephant, right? Climate change is a black elephant as well. You know, the acidification of the oceans is a black elephant. These are the things that stood in the corner of the room that are as big as a house saying, I'm here and I'm going to come in and I'm going to shake things up. And we're like, we didn't see that, right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I remember watching uh, or listening to uh, Nassim Taleb, who basically coined... Yeah. 
the black swan and he was pissed because he was like this is not a black swan event this is this is a white swan event Uh, you know there have been pandemics in the past and a black swan is characterized as something that is completely unpredictable completely something that is uh rare uh like for example 9-11 is a is a black swan event but this is a pandemic that we have seen before um and i think uh, you, you're completely right. But, you know, I think it caught, I still caught everybody, you know, uh, by surprise. But is this going to be good for the world in the long run, Sean? Well, you know, in my mind, um, and I don't know if it's because I'm inherently optimistic, but um, I, I think generally there's going to be lots of things that don't change. I think right. business will go back to normal. We, We'll go back to work. You know, we will go resort to our old behaviors um, at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen, but y- you know, we're creatures of habit sometimes. So I think we'll go back. Um, my perspective is that there are. This is actually a great opportunity for us to uh, rethink, reimagine industries. There's a lot of industries that are old and. Uh, uh, I call it nostalgic, you know, they're, they're stuck in their old ways and their old practices. Um, there's a lot of things that don't make sense uh, that I, I'd love to get into, whether it's, you know, from universities to, you know, oil and gas to, to, to whatever else. Um, you know, there's a lot of industries that need a revamp. And listen, this is the perfect time to do this. And so I think this is a beautiful opportunity to rethink, to reimagine industries. And yet, you know, you, you've seen this throughout history that, uh, when there is chaos, when there is warfare, when there is some uh, unbelievable event, you know, Vienna, the 1900s, uh, uh, ancient Athens, the, the, the Ming dynasty, you know, throughout history, there's been pockets of period where there was a lot of chaos, but then also there's an amazing amount of innovation uh, and creation. Uh, and so I, I'm optimistic. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, the Industrial Revolution is only 260 or so years old, right? You know, and, and, and we, we're living in the industrial complex that, that's suddenly realizing that it doesn't work so well. Um, you know, shareholder value means something completely different. Investors are, are losing confidence. I mean, what was it? You, you live in oil country, right? What was the price of oil today? I think it was negative, like three bucks uh, right. today, which is unbelievable. That that means they literally have to pay me to to to, to have oil. Um, yeah, but but you know they're they're not going to pay you to fill your gas tank. Uh, it, these 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 are some of the obsolete businesses, right? But we are completely addicted to fossil fuels in the world. We can't just flick that switch. I always well, say. Let, 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 by the way, by the, and I, I don't know because I I live in Alberta. Sure. Uh, that I have to defend it. But oil and gas is not an obsolete business, um, and it's not an obsolete resource. Um, I don't want to get to the, in, into uh, too deep into it. Sure. I think I think the energy demand across the world right now is at a standstill. But when everything gets back to normal, there'll be you know we need more energy, and uh, oil and gas is one portion and I, everybody believes that you know we should be reducing the amount of mm. uh, 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 consumption of it but at, the, at this point it still is very important in terms of uh, uh, an engine uh, for the world and 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 and, and, and energy so I, I just have to defend like that it's not obsolete it's yet. all good it's all good let me rephrase. <laughs> 
Okay, no, but no, I, no, let's get into this because I think that this is an in, interesting area. Obsolete is maybe the, the wrong phrasing. So let me, let me rephrase it. It's an old, old technology that's controlled by very, very few people and it's gamed and it's caused more wars than we can imagine and it's not good for humanity. So in terms of me calling it obsolete and talking about obsolescence in that context, it's obsolete for the goodness of humanity. But let's get rid of the word obsolete. It's just <laughs> not good for the planet. And I, 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 just, uh, I just put something out on Twitter earlier today. And it was like, you know, oil is negatives. It's in the negative, uh, <laughs> negative dollars for a barrel of oil. There was a lot of academics saying that, you know, if we drop below $10 a barrel, we're going to be in a, a crisis, we're going to be in calamity, and we are. And we've seen, like, the Saudis gaming it, we've seen these emergency meetings, and none, none of the consumers of oil are going to be any better off. It's just going to be the oil producers that are going to be bailed out. You know what? There's never been a war fought over whether the sun is going to shine, the wind is going to blow, the rivers are going to flow. Mind you, there's probably been a few wars about um, ownership of rivers anyway, right? But like, do, do you know what I mean? That's what I mean. So when we talk about what's good for humanity and what's not good for humanity, it, it's coming to stark relief, right? You, you know what? You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I think we even listen, even the oil companies like, uh, you know, Suncor, Husky, you, you know, uh, you know, companies that I've worked with, uh, you know, in Alberta, who are in the oil and gas business, they also know that the thing that they produce is not, is not great for the world. Right. And they also have the notion of, you know, how do we, how do we pivot? How do we bring in our skill set around energy and bring it to renewables, bring it to other sources of, of energy. And so I think this is not a light switch, right? Uh, and maybe, you know, coronavirus plus the oil crash is going to create uh, a new, I don't know, a new paradigm when it comes to energy, but it's not going to be a light switch and everyone will have to transition and even the energy companies will have to do this. So I, I would just say that, um, you know, I think everyone's working towards it and, you know, yeah. especially in Alberta, that's what, that's the, that's the narrative that we've been trying to spin is that everybody recognizes that this shit is not good for us. Yeah. Uh, uh, we know that there's other alternative sources of energy. We just, we, we need to start moving towards something else. And maybe this is the catalyst to like ramping that up. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it, it applies to so many businesses out there. What I'm calling like knife edge businesses, you know, businesses that are kind of making money, but they still uh, um, lose a lot of money on a quarterly basis. I mean, look at um, com uh, companies like Airbnb, their, their model sort of falls apart at times like this. Uber, their models fall apart <laughs> at times like this. Very, very tough. Well, Airlines, like old businesses like airlines, their model falls apart like this. You know, we're going to lose a ton of airlines. There's a lot of airlines that need bailing out. Airlines have been laying off staff all over the world. And, you know, this is how we get business done. But, but, but these business, you know, I, I love, love to get your perspective on this, is that these business models, uh, I, I would say the airline business model or Uber or Airbnb, they're not necessarily... Those are not, I'm saying those particular companies are not necessarily bad business models. They're just, no. you, when you don't, when you have, when, you know, when, when everything is shut down, no one's traveling and whatnot, like, of course, the, you know, it's a, it doesn't make sense now. I think some bad business models are things like WeWork and, and, right. and whatnot, which that, that didn't make sense. Um, um, but I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, you see 
you know, one of the things I didn't put in, the, like, by the way, for those who are not listening to this, wherever you are, I, I put out a video, just kind of, I just wanted to kind of get some of my thoughts out around, you know, where the world is going. And one of the things that I did not mention is uh, the, you know, where we are in terms of Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley startups, you know, mentioned Uber and Airbnb. And I think what's going to happen when we come out of this is that there's going to be a resetting of what is valuable for those companies. You know, in Silicon Valley for the last decade, Nick, what we have been valuing is things like user growth and traction and like eyeballs. Um, when in reality, I mean, when everything has gone to shit, the, the most important thing is actually having a good balance sheet and, and having profitability profitability and cash flow. And we've created this mythology around founders and startups and building a unicorn and building billion dollar companies with like eyeballs and growth and users when it actually doesn't, it doesn't mean anything when, when people are, you know, locked in their house and it doesn't mean anything uh, um, in a world where you need cash flow. And so I think there's going to be a resetting of that. And I think we idolize these guys in Silicon Valley for so long. Not only not only people who are creating startups, but also, uh, you know, I talk to other CEOs from other industries, and they idolize these guys. And I think, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot more pragmatism, pragmatism when it comes to uh, to how we view Silicon Valley. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the Abundance Army are holed up in their their mansions in Silicon Valley, charging their Teslas and hold away and sort of writing blog posts and saying, you know what, the world's going to be reinvented and this and that. And what, what I really like about speaking to you, and I've always liked this about you, is you're super, super, super real about this. And the resetting of the world is great, but it, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of strategy. Um, but there, there was something in the video, and I'll share the link uh, below in the description, that I want to go into. Um, in your video, right at the beginning, you say, you know, hope is not a strategy, right? Can, can we unpack that? Well, you know, the, the reason why I said that, and, um, you know, it, I, I'm not sure how deliberate it was, is this idea that, you know, everything is just going to come back to normal, that we can just sit on our laurels and not think about our business models, not think about our customer experiences, not think about our entire value chain and how it's going to change. Um, and really um, thinking about uh, thinking and preparing for the future. And I, I'm surprised that you would even hit on that as a futurist because you're always thinking about the future. So, and, and not just hoping, um, I think it's a matter of experimenting. I think the, the difference between hope is sitting there and praying that something is going to happen uh, yeah. versus actually uh, thinking and preparing the future and experimenting with new ways of doing things. Um, th th those are two polar opposites. So yeah, that's why I believe that hope is not a strategy. So I'd love to get your perspective of why you think uh, hope is a strategy. Well, you, you know what I, I, and I really, and I was like, damn it, Sean. Like, I don't know if I agree with you here. So um, as, as a futurist, I call myself a hope engineer. Because I ask, what if? What if the world was different? What if we can hope for a better tomorrow? Now, is that a strategy or is that fuel for other strategies to go out there? I actually like what you did when you unpacked this. We can't hope that the world's going to go back to the, the way it was and that we can't hope that suddenly, you know, the, the we're going to start making money again and cash flow is going to come in and we can hire back all our people and whatever. It's exactly what you say. It's like, if we lean too much onto hope, then we're ignoring, we're ignoring the fundamentals of business. I mean, you know, Obama had hope as his, his campaign, didn't he, when, he, when he first got elected? And it was like, yeah, but 
that was that a strategy or was that just fuel for getting people up and and on the streets and voting and making a difference and i think that that's exactly what hope is and i think hope is the fuel and the energy to make a change in the world right I think it's the I think it's the motivating factor. Hope is hope is like religious almost. It's like uh, it's something that you believe in. It's it's uh, it's a belief, but it's not a strategy. It's a that's just like you know that's a motivation that gets you up in the morning. But actually going off and doing something and experimenting and trying new things that that that's the only thing that I would say. That's the only reason why I said it. And I know that it would get a little bit of flack because. You know, there's, we're in a we're in a pandemic right now. So, you know, some people are saying, "Listen, I don't want to be preparing and thinking for the future. I just want to be like um, sitting in my house and consoling and watching Netflix and chilling and 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 writing this out because it's already difficult enough. And you know, people are in you know various scenarios. You know, whether you know their loved ones are are being impacted, whether they're holed up in a in a in an abusive relationship in a one bedroom apartment. Like you know, people have different varying situations going on and so I, I totally get that and, and if you want to just sit there and chill and relax I that, that's, that's on you so I know mm. that some people would be I know some people would be uh, uh, offended by that but you know to the for the most part for most people uh, especially and I'm talking to I'm talking for a business audience like you know if you're in business you need to be thinking and preparing for the future not only for yourself but for your for the people around you yeah, I mean that's the business that we're both in, right? But like, where where do we start? Say say you've got a you've got someone that that's had a company that that was that was growing well, you know, revenue and employees. Bang! They get hit by this pandemic. They have to reduce their headcount of their company. The cash flow is almost dried up, and maybe they've been able to do some online business. How do how do people start? How do people sort of listening to this think? Okay, Sean. What do we do now? Where do, where do you start um, sort of well, trying is, to address things? So I've been helping a, a number of companies and I can tell you exactly what you know, we've been doing, which is number one is um, taking a look at what they have right now. Like, you know, do we have enough cash flow to, you know, doing super really practical things, you know, cutting expenses when, where we need to, um, cutting out the fat where we need to, uh, uh, putting temporary layoffs, uh, you know, out there so that, you know, we, uh, you know, we don't hemorrhage the cash flow. I think right now everyone is looking at their balance sheet because no one knows how long is this going to last. So uh, the most pragmatic thing to do is to, uh, uh, is to look at your expenses. Um, I think that's, that's the first thing. Then the, the, the next thing, when you, when you think about, you know, what the current state of the business is, the next thing is really thinking about, okay, um, uh, where is this going to go in different scenarios? I think it's, it's laying out what those different, you know, three or four scenarios are. And as a futurist, you, you know, you're, you're an expert in this, in this field is laying out where, where all the scenarios are and building strategies to each of the different scenarios. So saying, listen, if we're not going to get back, uh, if we're not, if people are not going to be able to leave their house for the next six months, then what do we do? If people are not going to be able to get, leave their house for the next 12 months, what are we going to do? Um, and it's laying out the strategies, uh, and, um, after you finish your scenarios. And um, I think uh, in a very small way, it's figuring out how do we experiment now? How do we try new ways of doing things um, uh, across our value chain and, and trying things out? You know, there's been, my whole belief is that, listen, 
as an innovation guy, I always walk into organizations, people are like, I love this innovation stuff, Sean. I love this disruption stuff, but I have a boss that doesn't want to change. I have this supervisor and this manager that won't let me do, you know, what I want to do. And it's like, it's tough to convince people to take that shot. Well, like, like, this is the moment. Like, if you want to try something, if you want to try new ways of doing work, like, this is carte blanche. I talk to people that are on the front lines in healthcare, um, uh, um, you know, uh, people that are uh, uh, physicians, um, people that are uh, clinical uh, uh, pharmacists, um, multiple people that have told me that there's like, it's so weird in healthcare that now like the bureaucracy is melting. It's like, we're now trying shit that we've never even, like we wanted to try, that we never had the opportunity to try uh, and we're doing it now, which is remarkable. Like I have physicians calling me up and they're like, hey, like, what's the best way of doing like collaboration uh, uh, you know, across, you know, different networks. Like I heard of this thing called Slack, like, you know, like it's wild right. uh, that, you know, now they're starting to see technology and use technology in new way. So I think that's it. Number one is looking at your current situation, thinking about the future, building the scenarios, building the strategies and experimentation. Yeah, that's right. And, and what have you got to lose at, at this t- point in time with experimentation? I mean, yesterday, um, so I'm going to become a father in July. And then, so we, we, which is which is like you know tense, but I'm very excited and I feel quite confident. I'm I'm lucky. My partner Sarah and I we we built a really really good life, and uh, we we've got some, you know, some funds to, to help us through the next twelve months as I, as I'm planning for it. But we uh, we went to two stores, two two big box retailers yesterday. Uh, one for some baby stuff, I won't name them, and one for some home DIY stuff, and I won't name them either. And do you know what? They have kind of adjusted. And now you've got, you've got drive-through hardware and you've got drive-through um, baby goods, right? Yeah, um, because exactly. people have had to change. And it's interesting that they, they've kind of had to make this up from the beginning. But I fundamentally think that these stores are literally going to pivot and they're going to have drive-through servicing of of people in the future, they're going to likely shut down a lot of the big box stores, and it's going to it's going to be you drop you, you order online, you drive through. You might even have the opportunity to look at two and two or three models in a curated way when you go go up to a retailer and you make your choice, and that's done, and that's the future of retail, right? And well, it's listen, wild. On, on this note, I want to just do a rapid fire. Uh, uh, just the overview of some of the industries. And I want you to tell me who is fucked. Okay. Sure. So, okay. So uh, <laughs> let's start with, uh, let's start with, uh, I- I'm going to get to, the, let's start with air, airline, the airline industry. Um, like very quickly, are they yeah. fucked or not? So the airline industry is fundamentally reliant on uh, cheap oil prices. Most large airlines have their own oil trading floors inside of their companies. I'm not sure if you knew this, uh, but they, they're, they're what I call a knife edge business that they're always clawing to make just enough money to keep the lights on. So as mm. soon as that, that money goes, it disappears. Like the airlines just disappear and without bailouts. And we've seen it o- o- over time. I mean, Spain's Iberia just disappeared and got subsumed into British Airways. Um, Porter here in Toronto just shut down, stopped flying all in all. Um, what was it? Uh, Air Canada had to lay off 16,000, 17,000 of their staff until they got right. like, the funds to bring them back on, right? So that's my thought on airlines. They're a knife-edge business. Okay, so uh, what about uh, movie theaters? 
<laughs> I think we all love going to movie theaters. There's a sense of nostalgia. I think they've got a really important role to play in life. I don't think, I, I think that there's a democracy around a, a theater. You go along, you pay $10, $15, maybe $25 for the fancy seats that, that, that shake or whatever, and you have that big box uh, theater experience. And someone that doesn't own a, an amazing home cinema system can go and see it as well as someone that does. And I think that we do need them. I think that the times are tough for, for the, the film industry because everything's shut down. But I actually think that it's a hugely resilient business and it's going to bounce back. Okay. Uh, what about like um, restaurants and bars? Chain restaurants and bars, I think, are gonna they, they they're gonna they're gonna shut down a lot of their uh, a lot of their uh, real yeah, estate. I, I'm I'm hearing like uh, reports that you know even like forty percent of uh, restaurants will like permanently close down, which is a wild number. Yeah, if you think about it, here's a wild stat for you. Um, it's only about seventy or eighty miles between any uh, any subway uh, <laughs> so, so, subway sandwich shop in the U.S. You only have to drive 70 or 80 miles to get find one to the next. So we've, we've, we've got this, wow. yeah, we've, we've got this huge uh, saturation of, of, of big name restaurants, big brand restaurants all over North America, Europe, whatever. I think that smaller restaurants, I think we're going to go, I'm desperate to go back. Um, my partner and I, we've been trying to buy off some smaller restaurants and smaller grocers and, and whatever to try and help them out. And you know what? I, I live next to a brewery here in Toronto, Henderson Brewery, and uh, their business is just booming. And there's really? a wi winery down in Ossington that was an old school, and you'll love the story, an old school Portuguese family bottling their own wine, and they had this old dilapidated store, rebranded it last year. Looks great. The wine's cheaper than than um, some of the LCBO and Wine Rack and other places. Their business has tripled. Wow. So, really? so there, there, there's some of this. The, the smaller, more, more live re, um, sort of restaurants have been able to rejigger and, and sort of, um, what was it? I saw the stat last week. Uber Eats has suddenly um, overtaken Uber as a business in terms of revenue in, in, on their balance sheet. Well, that would make sense, but that is, that's wild to see as well. Yes. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Um, how about universities? What's really interesting is that, uh, and this, I, I've chatted to two or three uh, lecturers uh, at, at large colleges, and, and they're saying that there's a lot of old, old school teachers that are suddenly being forced into the new world that they've been talking about for a long time, that my friends have been talking about for a long time, and they have to work in new ways. Can you achieve good education online? Yes. Can you do examinations uh, online? Yes. I think that any university that doesn't see this as a new operating model is, is going to miss a huge opportunity for leaping ahead, right? And I think that we, we completely, um, I don't think we're going to be these, these online courses and purely online Coursera or whatever. I think that we're just going to see normal universities and, and all the way from grade school education through to university education becoming a hybrid a hybrid of in-person and online and convenience. And I just think that it's going to be shaken up. Okay. How about this one? How about influencers? How about, <laughs> how, how about them? I, do you know what? Okay. <laughs> Let's get into this. 
Okay. There's, there's one place on the internet where amusement and entertainment seems to be flourishing and living in abundance, and it's TikTok. Yes. Okay. Love TikTok. Love TikTok. I'm 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 47 years old, Sean. This is not my <laughs> this is not my platform. It's not your platform. You, <laughs> no. look, lot, you, you look a lot younger than me, right? I'm not going to dance, whatever you know, in front of the camera. <laughs> there's there's an influencer on there called Charlie D'Amelio. She's 15, yeah. 15, yeah. just yeah. coming up to 50 million followers. Yeah. She has got the eyes and ears of 50 million young Gen Z targets. And I think the influencers generally, that whole influencer marketing is not going to be the first thing that a lot of brands look to when they, they try and get back on the horse and try and make their businesses uh, strong again. But I do think that there's going to be some businesses that, that are going to need those people. It's going to be like sports and entertainment. It's going to be films. It's going to be the, the endorsements, right? I haven't quite seen anyone on TikTok dancing around with like a, a jar of pickles or, you know, selling some tea that makes you have a flat stomach, though, you know? Well, I don't know if you have, like, I, I, <laughs> well, I, I, I do have TikTok. I have some TikToks, but I don't, I'm not dancing or anything like that. You know, for me, it's always like experimenting with, um, right. uh, uh, new platform, seeing what, where the culture is. Like, I think as an innovation guy, like I, I just want to, I always want to see, you know, what, where is the culture and, uh, you know, TikTok is, is, uh, where it's at now. That's where the kids are at. So, uh, you know, looking to see where that sort of evolves and, and, uh, you know, from an Instagram model to there, I mean, it's, it's, it's way more performative than anything else. And, and I think, uh, I don't know, we'll see. Okay. So lastly, uh, I just want to, on the predictions note, you know, there's lots of, uh, we have all these tech companies, uh, Amazon, Netflix, Peloton, uh, Uber, uh, Lyft, uh, you know, like who do you think is going to come out of this, um, you know, as a winner and like, uh, and a huge loser. I think any company that, uh, that's got a, a huge, that's got a level of humility that understands that they have a positive role to play in the world, that they have the money to step up and help, um, people. So for example, here in Toronto, it's like people like Uber are still operating or and Lyft is still operating and they, they're there for the healthcare workers. They're there for the essential businesses. They're there for food delivery. That's the right kind of way for operating your business at this time and not just saying, okay, no, let's keep Toronto open. Keep taking those ride sharing and whatever. Netflix is still going to be producing and releasing movies. I've actually noticed that they've actually improved a lot of their programming in Canada recently. You know, Amazon Prime and other, uh, and Crave and, and other channels as well, HBO. It's really difficult to know who's going to survive and who's not going to survive. I mean, we saw SoftBank is, is yeah. just taken an L, right? I mean, they, 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 they're not going to bail out WeWork anymore, so, so I hear. They, they've just announced a ton of losses. Uh, Mr. Son is not, not the flavor of, of the month like he was even a year ago, right? Um, but what, what they do next is really important. How they enable us to get back to work and live normal lives and, and right. how they solidify their position in, in that part of our life is really, really important. And I imagine the brand teams and the marketing teams are sat inside and their game's been completely changed. They, 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 totally. literally, they literally cannot sell anything but hope 
Sean. <laughs> for, for, for the next for the next X amount of months, 18 months, 24 months and whatever, right? Yeah. Um, I think Subaru was the first company I saw that said, we're not going to talk to you about selling cars. We're going to celebrate our frontline workers. And that was about a month ago. And I was like, you know what? A lot of people saw that. And a lot of people recognized that, you know, this wasn't about selling, you know, more McDonald's. This was, this is about literally, you know, just putting down, putting down the weapons of marketing and saying, you know, we, we just, we, we love you. We, we're here for you. Um, whatever we can do to help, we're going to do. I love that. And listen, the reason why I asked you, you know, this, this, uh, firestorm of, of predictions is because listen, I, I want to get like hundreds of thousands of dollars of predictions from you for free for once. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know you, you pay for these things. So, uh, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is amazing. So listen, for me, like, I want to know from you and I, I'll share where I, you know, where I think the world is going, but what are you like most afraid of when it comes to this thing? And, uh, and, you know, after this is done, I don't know if this is going to be done, but you know, what are you, what are you most afraid of? Uh, geopolitical wrangling, um, domestic political wrangling, poverty, um, people not being fed, people not having access to affordable healthcare, um, people that become desperate because of the yeah. failure of the industri the, the industrial world, right? Um, up in Canada, we're very lucky. You know, we, we, we're somewhat of a left leaning reasonably socialist country in the world right and we're helping people out um when you look down to the states it's it's a capitalist capital c flag waving um the states uh, are struggling on their own and the federal government struggling um as a, as an overseer of this of these challenges right now um and you know you've you've got something what 17 plus million people suddenly signed on unemployment and you've got uh, hundreds of cars queuing for, for food because, you know, they have to go to food banks. For food. That's what I really worry about. You know, uh, all of these, I have not been writing blogs of hope and here's the five things you need to know next and whatever, because we can't even create a sense of resiliency in, in a lot of the countries around the world to make sure that people are fed. People are I totally are, agree with you. awarded and people are, are basically looked after on a basic human needs level, you know? I totally agree with you. And I think, um, you know, I'm, I, I honestly, I've been surprised that, that um, in Africa and in India and, you know, they're in places where they don't have the best infrastructure that they, they've been able to contain things. My, my biggest fear was that this thing would go like bananas in, in India and, mm. you know, people like it would just be, it would just go out of control. Um, and there is, you know, they don't even have the infrastructure to, um, to, to, uh, to deal with this. And so, you know, I, I, it's remarkable how they've been able to keep things uh, relatively low, but that, that was my biggest fear is that it would go into an emerging nation that doesn't have the health infrastructure to, to yeah. handle this and they don't have the communication methods uh, to get things out to every single person in the, in the country. And, and, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to see that they've done that. Yeah. So Modi laid down the hammer in India, right? Shut everything down, made it very, oh. very tough. And, you know, people were literally being castigated for being out in the streets. Did you see, um, if, if you got tested and you were told that you had a, an order to, to go home and isolate, you were stamped on the back of your Yeah, hand. I saw that, yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> so, you're, so, not, so you're you, not going anywhere. But, by the way, do you think that we're going to get to that level um, here in North America where um, it, you literally will get a stamp that says you, ha you had corona, 
uh, you are now immune and now you can go off in the population. Like this is some of the black mirror shit that, you know, I think will start happening. The science fiction stuff that will be happening. I actually believe that we will get to a point where we have something, whether it's digital or physical that, um, that showcases that we're immune to this. I, I, I completely disagree. I think okay. that in, in the civilized Western world or whatever, in a civilized world where we do not go out of the way to create bias in society more than bias is already created in society, i.e., you know, you're not wearing a badge, you're not wearing a stamp on the back of your hand, you don't have a special number tattooed on your, on your wrist, you know, does this sound like anything? Maybe from the Second World War, right? Where we don't fundamentally castigate people for their situation or their but what status, about right? what, But what about digitally, you know, I, I know Apple and Google uh, recently partnered up where they're helping yep. to identify, track uh, those who, um, um, you know, have been tested positive. You know, I think generally that's something that everybody would, you, you know, obviously, you know, privacy aside with something like, okay, yeah, listen, I, I'd love to know if I've interacted with folks that, are, you know, are positive or have been positive. Yeah. I don't know. Well, um, it's really interesting. So there's uh, th there's an app. I think it was launched in Singapore. Um, something together, two together, or something like that. And it used Bluetooth and whatever. It just had had really really low levels of adoption, and really really low levels of data. So it wasn't actually that useful. This is what's going to work. Um, stockpiles of testing and continuous testing yeah. and, and, and a healthcare system that can manage any new um, resurgent waves of what's happening with the pandemic, that is going to be the, the somewhat civilized way that the, 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 the world gets back on top before there's a vaccine to make it work. And then once there's a vaccine, we've got another challenge. Was it 45% of Americans uh, believe that there's a problem with vaccines? Uh, I mean, I don't believe whether, whether, whether they'll take the vaccines <laughs> or not. There's a lot of anti-vaxxers out there. There's a lot of people that, that are going to be looking at, at the vaccines that are out there. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be first in line to get them. Right. Um, because this is how we get back on top. I'm actually telling clients 18 to 24 months buckle in, you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the scary thing is that like, you know, how long are we going to be able to live, uh, you know, locked down in our houses and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that I'm, I'm definitely, uh, you know, worried about, um, you know, getting aside from the business and innovation angle yeah. is, you know, the mental health of folks um, that are in their house. And, and, you know, not everyone is in a uh, optimal situation where they're, they have lots of room or, you know, they have natural light or, you know, whatever it is. Like, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm a little bit nervous about. You know what? I think October, November, we're going to have a semblance of a new normal and uh, then we'll have vaccines in place and we'll have decent levels of te testing or whatever by mid 2021. I think the rollout of vaccines is going to be hugely politicized in many places around the world, um, uh, in Asia, as, as well as uh, North America and Europe, uh, Africa as well. Um, some of these countries need a lot of help. India. Um, I do think we'll get there. I do think we're resilient as a, as a human race. I think that once we get our healthcare system under control, um, which was woefully ill-prepared, uh, once we've got enough of these tests happening on a daily basis, and, and it's sort of, there's, there's a machine behind it, I think we're going to be feeling a lot happier about the world. Well, that is a positive outlook that, uh, you know, I do believe in. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the idea of human resilience. And I think that's the one thing that, um, 
that has been pretty remarkable throughout this whole entire thing is that, uh, you know, people banding together, people, uh, you know, working together, cooperating, um, you know, obviously there, you know, there's a small minority of people that, you know, haven't been, but for the most part, it's, it's been pretty unbelievable to see. We could talk for about five hours as we Absolutely. always can, can do. I mean, as you said, like this is one of multiple things that are online with me and you chatting and, and it will happen again. I can guarantee you that COVID or no COVID remote or in person, these are going to happen. Sean Canungo, I'd like to thank you for interviewing me. No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, you know, I, I want to have a, you know, a, a dialogue between the both yeah. of us and have a, and, you know, you, you know, because I think that's what people really like is a, is a really engaging conversation. And, you know, I, the last thing I'll say is, is that, um, you know, when we, when we chatted a number of years ago, um, in Vancouver, and I asked you, you know, you know, where is like, you know, the future of innovation, or, um, you know, you know, what's the what's the most thing important thing about the future? Or, you know, the one thing that you that you said and that you know stuck, uh, you know, the that that really stuck to me was the idea that the most important thing, the the, the future is really around humans. You know, we talk about all these exponential technologies, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to humans, and so, and I think. The same is true today more than any time uh, in history that, you know, uh, after we're done or during this COVID thing, it's, it's really about the humans. That's right. And, and boy, are we seeing humanity. It's rawest and realist right now. Sean Kanungo, master, so master of innovation. Good friend. <laughs> uh, thanks, for, thanks for spending time today, Sean. I really appreciate this. And uh, we're, we're certainly going to chat again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.